I want to say to her, take a breath. All right, let's stand together for the reading of just two verses. And I'm continuing the series on unsung heroes today. And I want to talk to you about a great unsung hero, a mother. We hear all the time about her son, Samuel. But we don't hear about Hannah near as much. But without Hannah, naturally, there would have been no Samuel. But not just physically. There would never have been a great man of God like Samuel without a great woman of God for a mother. So let's read now. There was a certain man from Ramathaim whose name was Elkanah. He was an Ephraimite. He had two wives. That was the beginning of his trouble. Everybody say polygamy don't make no sense. No. One was called Hannah and the other was called Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Father, we thank you for your word today and we pray that you will speak to us out of it. Lord, as Hannah navigated through her troubles to a breakthrough in God, give us the wisdom that Hannah executed in her own life and help us to walk in that wisdom. Breathe a prayer, church, would you? And say, Lord, speak to me. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to need this by the time you get home. This is our third service. Saturday night is doing well. And I want to just kind of keep making you aware of that. If you ever wake up and say, you know, I'd like to go Saturday night and have all of Sunday to myself. Uh, we're averaging around 300 plus people on Saturday nights right now. And you're certainly welcome to come. You, you come to all three services if you want to. But Saturday night, 9 o'clock Sunday morning, and now this one. And so many moms have uh, been in the church this weekend. And I know that uh, today being Mother's Day, that this day is not um, necessarily enjoyable for some of you. It can be bittersweet for mothers who have lost a child or for children who have lost their mother. Mother's Day reminds you of that. And it kind of stings. And you even wonder, am I going to go to church today or not because of that? And there are some women who would give anything just to have a child. And so today is like, well, you know, I'll go and hopefully it's a good word. And it is going to be a good word because what I'm going to share transcends what you're experiencing, these possibilities. And it's going to be broad enough to be a blessing to everybody, not just moms who are in a position to enjoy today. Now, truth be told, motherhood is not glamorous or easy. Every mom in here, let me know you're alive. Amen. It's not glamorous or easy. No, no, no. One mother said, the joy of motherhood is what a woman experiences when all the kids are finally in bed. And then a mother, talking to an old college friend, said, before I was married, I had three theories about raising children. Now I've got three children and no theories. Isn't that true? Motherhood is where the untried ideals of youth meet the tough jolt of reality. Things don't always go the way moms hope. Matter of fact, more times than not, they really don't. You've got to trust God with your children. Eve, the very first mother, you would have thought her children would do well. Right there, fresh out of creation. But she watched her first child become a murderer and then a fugitive. 
And the murder was even worse than normal because he murdered his own brother. Eve watched that, probably wondered, what is this childbirth thing all about? My heart's broken. Moses' mother had to give him up for adoption and watch Pharaoh's daughter raise him. Samuel's mother, Hannah, who we're going to look at today, released him as a mere child to serve in the temple and only saw him one time a year after that. Didn't go the way they thought. So motherhood is very unpredictable. There are no airtight guarantees. Most of the time what you think is going to happen, there's some deviations from that. But you know, mothers are also great philosophers really are. As a matter of fact, motherhood seems to make one a great philosopher, a great teacher. Mothers teach us about foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. <laughs> foresight. Mothers teach us about logic. If you break your leg, don't come running to me. <laughs> logic. Mothers teach us about maturity. Eat those vegetables or you will never grow up, I guarantee it. Mothers teach about religion without even meaning to. You better pray that comes out of the closet and out of the carpet. Not out of the closet. I missed that one. Am I blushing yet? All right. <laughs> I'm going to hear about that on the way home. Jeff, Jeff, that's three services. They're getting to you. Mothers teach us about tra time travel. They really do. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. That's time travel. Mothers teach us about contradictions. Shut your mouth and eat your dinner. Some of you are going to get that on the way home. You haven't gotten it yet. Mothers teach us about contortionism. Would you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? Contortionism. Remember exorcist kind of thing? Mothers teach us about perseverance. You're going to sit here until you eat every last piece of that broccoli. Mothers teach us about genetics. You are just like your father. Mothers teach us about the weather. It looks like a tornado swept through this room. And mothers, most of all, teach us about the circle of life. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Now let's look more closely at a woman named Hannah, the mother of the great prophet Samuel. When we first meet Hannah, and I'm so thankful the Bible tells the truth about the people that are in it. it doesn't whitewash them, doesn't uh, embellish their life. When we meet Hannah first, she's a woman of sorrow. She has great sorrow. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that Hannah was miserable and in bitterness of soul. Now she was a woman of God, but that did not insulate her from experiencing the tough knocks of life. And being a Christian doesn't either. And so she's in sorrow, and when we look at her life and study her life, I see three reasons why, and I can certainly understand the first one. She was in sorrow because of the times in which she lived, because they were backslidden, godless times. 
I think of Lot, who it says every day his righteous soul was vexed by what he saw and heard in Sodom and Gomorrah. Hannah was vexed and made sorrowful partially because of the time she lived in. She lived in the time of the judges. And the times of the judges were the times when Israel backslid over and over again, chronically backsliding. They would backslide. God would turn them over to an enemy. They would repent. God would send a deliverer. They'd get delivered and go right back into backsliding again. And it was an endless cycle of this backsliding repentance, deliverance, backsliding, repentance, deliverance. It was a very grim time, darkest hour in Israel's history. There's no king in Israel as yet, so there's no stability of government. It's a time of turmoil, time of confusion. It's a time when Israel is vulnerable to the Philistines who are breathing down their neck night and day, threatening to come in and attack them and wipe them out at any moment. These giant men, the Philistines, it's a time when they are morally depraved and spiritually backslidden. Their religion had grown cold. There was no life to it, no joy to it. It was all ritual and duty and empty, meaningless action with no heart to it. Dead religion, cold. And with the death of Samson, the country was divided and leaderless. Moral scandals were rampant among the family of the priests. In a nutshell, the nation of Israel was weak and it was impotent. And worst of all, chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and there were not many visions. That's bad. Imagine if you right now did not hear a word from God for not weeks, not months, but years. There was a famine for the word of God. He wasn't speaking to them because of their backslidden condition. And because there was no vision, there, there was nothing to look forward to, nothing to wake up for. There was no open vision, no vision from God. And without vision, the Bible says the people perish. There was no vision. God had nothing to say. The nation needed a great leader and a great man, and God needed a great woman to shape that great man. And Hannah stepped onto the stage of history. But not like she would have thought, and not like we would have thought, she steps onto the stage of history as a sorrowful woman. Sorrowful because of the condition of her nation, but also sorrowful because of her family situation. In fairness, I've got to tell you that there was a positive side to her home life. We read that she was married to a man named Elkanah, and Elkanah was a worshiper of God. He did the best that he knew to do. He was a worshiper of God. Every year, he led his family up to Shiloh, where they sacrificed to the Lord and they worshiped. And he was a worshiping man who had a sensitivity to the things of God. And he loved Hannah very much. Here was a man who loved his wife and led his church or his family in spiritual things. He was the one that led in prayer and led in worship. And I want to say to you men here today, you, you husbands... I have performed a lot of weddings in my life, and I'm going to tell you, I always look at the man, and I always quote to him what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
and washed her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to God faultless, without spot, without blemish. And I tell the man when I'm marrying them that he is about to take on a whole new anointing, the anointing of the priest. And he's going to be the spiritual leader of the home. And guys, can I just tell you, lead your family. Lead your family in prayer. Be the one who says to your wife, let's pray, let's go to church, let's worship God. Let your children find you in the place of prayer, reading your Bible, seeking God. This was Elkanah, and we can learn from Elkanah a lot about being a good husband, a good spiritual leader. And you might be wondering, well, if she was married to a guy like this, and why is she sorrowful? I mean, he, he loves her, and he's a worshiper of God. He's leading his family in the way of the Lord. Why was she sorrowful? Because Elkanah had a problem. He had been influenced by the world. The world had weaved its way, snuck through the door of their home, and influenced his mind. And it manifested in his overstepping God's plan for marriage by taking a second wife and living in polygamy. Now, you should know that God tolerated polygamy in the Old Testament, but it was never his highest will. It was never his best. It always caused problems. There was always strife in the home because of it. Think of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Think of all the examples in the Bible where polygamy brought conflict. Because God made marriage for one man and one woman. Period. That's it. Never will you ever find me marrying two men or two women. It's not going to happen. And I just want to say that. Uh, you say, well, that's hate speech. No, it's not. That's the Bible. It's God's plan. Jesus said, and I digress a bit, but Jesus said, he said, have you not read that in the beginning God created them male and female? Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and be, and be joined to his wife, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What becomes one flesh? One man, one woman, one man, one woman. Not two men or two women. One man, one woman. That's just God's plan. Now, This caused incredible problems, and we see from Elkanah, the good side is, loved his wife and sought God, but the bad side is, he made this worldly decision, and we learn from him that the more of the world that we allow into our homes, the more we suffer for it spiritually. Let the Lord Jesus be as present in your home as he is in church when we worship him. You ought to have worship sessions. Can you imagine if we had church at home and then came to church? What would happen here? The power that would be released? We ought to come in skipping into church with a smile on our face instead of dragging in saying, you better preach me up, pastor, because I'm down. No. Home is supposed to be a place where God dwells. Amen. God should be there. Now, Elkanah's error in judgment adversely affected the relationship that he had with Hannah. His second wife's name was Peninnah, and she did as her name sounds. Her, I can't say her name without thinking of a pen. And Peninnah stuck, jabbed, harassed Hannah. As we're going to see in just a moment, 
She was a she-devil he brought into the home, a daily vexation, a constant critic of all things Hannah. And she drove Hannah into abject misery. And they had a rivalry going on that just brought such unrest in that home. Hold that thought, and I'm going to share with you the third reason that Hannah was sorrowful, the main reason. She had no child. She was childless. She was barren. Now, in the Old Testament, bearing children was hugely important to a marriage relationship and to the fulfillment of a woman. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't have a lot of scientific understanding, so they looked at a barren woman as being under the curse of God. Now, that wasn't always true. We do read where God closed a womb or opened a womb, where a woman could have children or couldn't have them, but all barrenness was not because of the curse of God, but that's the way it was seen. So Hannah felt like she had a, a, a strike against her, a major strike against her with Elkanah. The Bible says that each year, Elkanah, Hannah, and Peninnah went up to Shiloh to worship God. And in their worship ritual, there were certain sacrifices that were offered. And when they were done making their sacrifice to God, a portion of the sacrifice was returned to those who had offered it. Now what the family would do when they got this portion of the offering returned to them is they would enjoy a sacrificial feast. Well, because Alcana wanted to assure Hannah that he loved her, even though she had not been able to give him any children, he gave her a double portion of those leftovers. Well, this did not win points with Peninnah. Because here they are, it's sacrifice time and then it's feast time. She gets her portion, all her children get their portion, but then Elkanah walks over to Hannah with double portion, a double portion. And this stirred the pot of jealousy like nobody's business. And in retaliation, Peninnah began to taunt Hannah where it hurt the most her barrenness. She would gather her children around and say, gee, Hannah, I'm so sorry you can't have any children. You know, we both know that, that Elkanah would love to have a child by you. I, I'm praying for you. God bless you. You just can't have any kids. Uh, uh, children, say hello to Aunt Hannah. Stick, 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 Penina stuck. Hannah prodded her, mocked her, the Bible says that Peninnah became her adversary and provoked her greatly to the point that Hannah was miserable. What a picture of the devil. Because you see, all of us have areas in our life where we're barren. Areas in our life where there is a lack. And the enemy comes in when you are barren, when you've got that lack. He comes in like a Peninnah. And he begins to prod you and stick you and harass you and mock you and ridicule you and even try to cause you to question the reality of God in your life. If God were there, why, were, why would you be barren? Why, why has God left you like this? Why do you have this lack? Why don't you have something in this area of your life? Why are you going without? Prod you. He wants to make you miserable. He wants you to give up. He wants you to faint. He wants you to quit believing and trusting in God. Peninnah just kept at it and kept at it day by day, week by week, month by month. Well, you say, well, where in the world was Alcana during all this? He was being a typical man. He thought his love and concern for her was more than enough. I've got to quote his words to you. What a guy here. He says to his sorrowful wife, 
Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. <laughs> what a guy. But he didn't stop there. Isn't that better than having ten sons? I can almost hear her, dude, no. <laughs> but I respect you too much. Don't you understand I want a child? Don't you understand I want this reproach taken off of me? Don't you understand that to have a child would make my day, make my year, make my life? Now, I learned a long time ago, and here's the lesson from Hannah, that it's not what happens to you that matters most. It's how you respond to what happens to you that matters most. Now, I'm going to say that again. Please catch this, because listen, unfair things are going to happen to you in life. You're going to have times of barrenness in your life. There are times when life isn't going to give you what you thought it should or thought it would. Sometimes you're going to feel cheated, sold short, coming out on the short end of the stick, and you're going to have to have a response to it. You will respond one way or the other. And it's not what happens to you that matters most. Whether or not you get through it successfully in God and come out on the other side is how you choose to respond to it. So let's consider Hannah's response to these different adversities. Here she is. She's trapped in a terrible situation. She feels like she can't get out. She's married to a good man who made a big mistake. She is being heckled in her own home under her own roof. There is a, another woman, another wife, who is making her life miserable, who is mocking her, ridiculing her on her case all the time, rubbing in her greatest weakness, her greatest heartbreak, reminding her of it every day. How do you respond to that? What do you do with that? When you're in a situation you feel you can't get out, there's no way out. There's no exit door. What do I do? Do I just live in misery to the day that I die? How do I handle this? I want to look at her response first. Here's what she did not do. She could have spiraled into a fit of inconsolable depression, but she did not. She could have begun to numb herself with alcohol, which was plenteous in that day. She did not try to lose herself in a bottle. She could have given up on trying to live a godly life and blame God for all of her trouble. Some people do that. Well, God, if you were real, I would not have this barrenness, so you have not been good to me, so you must not be what I thought, so I'm going to walk away. She did not do that. She didn't blame God. She didn't hold her fist up at God. She didn't go back to her mother and seek solace and comfort. Mom, can I live with you? Nope. She never sought out another relationship for comfort. She went to the only one who could possibly help her, the living God. She turned to God. Now I want you to see what she did. She did three simple things. And I want you to walk out with this wisdom today. This is the wisdom of Hannah, an unsung hero. This mother who produced a giant in the faith. The first thing she did is she trusted God with her pain. She trusted God with her pain. She didn't trust a bottle with her pain. She didn't trust another man with her pain. She didn't trust self-pity with her pain. She trusted God with her pain. I recently visited a church member in the hospital emergency room, and they were in a lot of pain. 
And it was just me and this other person in the emergency room waiting for the doctor to come in. And so I was looking around this little area where they keep you, and I noticed hanging on the wall was a chart for measuring a patient's pain. And it had one through ten. And above every number, it had a face with a different expression on it. One had a person smiling, like, I'm okay. By the time you got to ten, they looked like they were about to die. And there was every all these different levels of facial expressions on the way to the 10. One, I'm barely hurting. 10, I'm in agony. If you had been able to get Hannah into that emergency room and said, where are you on that chart? She would have said 10. I am in inward agony. I'm a 10. The Bible graphically describes her pain level. 1 Samuel 1 verse 10 says, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, crying bitterly. Here's another version. Hannah was in distress of soul, praying to the Lord and weeping bitterly. The Message Bible puts it this way, crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried and cried inconsolably. She could not be consoled. This woman had reached her wit's end. It happened on one of those trips to Shiloh. Here's the whole family, Peninnah, Elkanah, Peninnah's kids, and Hannah. She gets there, she can't do it another time. She can't go in there and worship like she used to. She's got to have a breakthrough. You know what I'm talking about. You know the way that it feels. Sure, I want to go to church, but my need is so great. I've got to have a breakthrough. I don't care who's looking. I don't care who knows. I don't care what people think. I'm going to break before God and I'm going to cry out for a breakthrough and I'm going to pray until he gives me an answer. And right there in front of God and everybody, she fell to the ground and she broke and she began to sob. And it says she was under such stress and such distress that she did not enunciate her words, but just mumbled with her lips. She was in such pain. And the backslidden priest, Eli, was standing there. And he said, woman, you ought not be drinking this early in the morning. She said, I am not drinking. I am overwhelmed with sorrow. I have got to have a son. My heart is broken. Please pray with me. And as the priest, he said, may the Lord give you what you request. He had the authority of a priest, even though he was a backslidden priest, and his two sons were defiling the temple. She received that word, she stood up, and she went on with the family ritual and went back home after the worship time was over in Shiloh. She poured out her pain to God. Do you trust God with your pain? Do you really? Do you trust him? David advised us, trust in him at all times, you people. All times, not sometimes, not most of the time, not a few times. Trust him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him Tell him what you're feeling. Tell him what you're thinking. Tell him what you're going through. He will not be shocked, I promise you. For God is a refuge for us. So she said, Lord, I can't take it anymore. Here's my pain. I'm trusting you with my pain. Here it is. I'm giving it to you. Well, she didn't stop there. She went from there to trusting him with her prayer. And she had a simple prayer, only five words. She said, Lord... Give your maidservant a son. Give me a son. That's all I'm asking for. I don't want wealth. I don't want fame. 
I don't want fortune. I just want a son. This is the heartache of my life. I want a son. Hear me, because I can't take another step, can't go another day. I can't live this way. I can't function this way. This woman this is needling me day by day. My home is miserable. You've got to give me a son. You're my only exit door. You're my only way out. You're my only answer. I understand that. She was not asking for a son to gain her husband's favor. She already had that. He loved her. She wasn't asking for a son to flaunt in front of Panina. I think I would have, in all honesty. It'd be a great, great temptation to say, give me a son so this woman will have to eat warm crow. Let that boy get a little old. Go say hi to Aunt Panina. Go say hi. Hug her leg. Just go get in her lap and kiss her on the cheek. Say, hello, Aunt. But no, that's not why she prayed. She prayed something very powerful. Give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. If you will give me a breakthrough, I will give him to you. We've all prayed that kind of prayer, haven't we? If you'll get me out of jail. If you'll get me out of this trouble. Oh, Lord, I'll give you my life. If you'll do this for me, Lord, I will never, never walk away from you again. If you will just give me this breakthrough, Lord, you got my attention the rest of my days. You better follow up on that because God will come knocking for you to give him what you said. Some people only know a 9-11 God. That's all they know. Well, I'm in trouble again, and here I am, Lord. I know I told you before, but here I am again. Now get me out of this again, Lord, and I will. You better start coming through with those I wills because we're going to see in a minute that Hannah did. The reason she wanted a son was so she might give him back to the Lord for lifelong service. She wanted to give God the most precious gift that she could ever think of, a son. And after years of barrenness and years of ridicule and misery, God heard and answered her prayer. Verse 20 says, It came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, meaning heard by God. Heard by God. God heard me. Now watch this. Her first response was to trust God with her pain. Her second response was to trust God with her prayer. But now she moves into a realm that very few ever, ever reach. She trusts God with what she loved. Now let me tell you the great test of faith. It's not if you can trust God with your pain, because we want to get rid of our pain. It's not if we can trust God with our prayer. We trust God with prayers all the time. But when it comes time to trust God with what you love, that's the test because the pain you want to get rid of, but what you love you want to hang on to. According to custom, Hebrew women nursed their children until they were about three years old. When she had been with her little boy three full years, she kept her promise and she surrendered him to God. When the family got all their stuff together for the next trip to Shiloh, their annual visit, Hannah began to do something different. She began to gather all little Samuel's stuff. She began to pack his stuff. She got all of his little toys, his little bed, all the memorabilia that were attached to him, his stuff. She put it all together. Now think about this church. 
She's remembering, I told God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. He's weaned. It's time. Samuel, you're not going to understand all this. But sweetheart, I've got to give you back. She puts it all together. They load up the mules. They go on the journey to Shiloh. Longest trip of her life. It reminds me of Abraham. When Abraham was told by God, take Isaac, your only son of promise, and I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham obeyed God. He gathered all the stuff, got a servant, got Isaac, got wood, got a knife, and began the three-day journey to Moriah with that which he loved, not just his pain. It was no longer his pain. His pain was gone for the joy of Isaac. It wasn't just his prayer. His prayer had arrived. Now he's being asked to take his prayer, the answer to it, and go to Mount Moriah. Long walk, three days, and Isaac didn't make it easy. Dad, what's that wood for? What's that knife for? Why are we going there, Father? And what are you going to do when you're there? God will provide, son. Hannah took Samuel to Shiloh. Abraham took Isaac to Moriah. It reminds me of God the Father carrying his own son. And I believe that's what these two things are meant to point to. When Hannah took Samuel and gave him away and Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him, God was echoing, pointing, foreshadowing what was coming in the new covenant that one day God would carry his son up Calvary's hill. And as he got up to the top of Calvary's hill, God would sacrifice his son for our sins, for my sins, and your sins. And that's what these old stories are pointing to and talking about. Listen, you say, well, God didn't take Jesus up that hill. Jesus took himself. No, no, no. God so loved the world, he gave, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Hannah, the mother of a champion, the unsung hero behind Samuel, handed little Samuel to Eli, this great, big, out-of-control, backslidden priest who she knew did not walk with God, but was she trusting Eli? No, she was trusting God with what she loved. And she handed this beautiful little three-year-old boy over to Eli. And, and I can just imagine, I can just use my imagination and imagine what it was like. Bye, son. I'll miss you. I'll miss you in the morning. I'll miss your voice. It's not going to be the same without you. I'm sure going to miss holding you. I'm going to miss your laugh. But I told God that I would give you to him. And now I'm going to not only trust him with my pain and trust him with my prayer, but I'm trusting him with what I love more than anything on the face of the earth. I know that my God can be trusted with what I love. He can be trusted. Sometimes your children don't do what you want. Sometimes you lose them for a while to drugs. Sometimes you lose them to immorality. Sometimes they just don't go the direction you hoped. And what do you do? You're out of control. You take what you love the most and you trust what you love to God. Because God is bigger than what they're doing, bigger than where they're going, bigger than the sin in their life. God is able to turn it around. She walked away. 
She had only seen him once a year after that. She trusted him to God. The end of the story is better than the beginning because Hannah's faith was richly rewarded. Her little boy Samuel grew up to become one of the greatest men of God in all the pages of the Old Testament. One day he's sitting in the temple, just young, and a voice, Samuel, he goes running to Eli. What do you want? He says, I didn't call you. You had a dream. Go back. He goes back. Samuel. He goes running to Eli again. Eli, backslidden, no discernment whatsoever, says, you had another dream. Go on back. This time, Samuel. He goes running to Eli and the bulb goes off. He says, hey, God's talking to you. Go listen to what he has to say. And God told him that Eli's house was going to fall and he was going to be the new priest. And God raised up the mighty Samuel, the anointer of Saul, the anointer of David, the conscience of Israel for his entire life, the great man. Do you trust God with your pain? Do you trust God with your prayer? Do you trust God with what you love? Can you stand with me today? I'm going to ask that we bow just for a moment of prayer. Are you struggling in a place of sorrow like Hannah? Are you experiencing a type of barrenness that is bearing down on you? Barrenness can be experienced in many areas. Relationships, unfulfilled dreams, lost vision, shattered faith, shaky hope. Is there something you absolutely need God to do for you? We can learn from Hannah. With your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm experiencing a place of barrenness in my life. And boy, the devil, like Peninnah, is attacking my faith. And I need God to give me a breakthrough. Can I see your hand today? Real good and high. Many of you all over this place, many of you. You know what? The same God that answered Hannah in the way he chose to answer her will answer you. And I want us to pray today, all of us. I don't know about you, but I've sure been where she was. I know barrenness. I know what it feels like to be frustrated that there is this barren place. I know what it feels like to have a penina making, trying to make you miserable, talking into your head, the enemy of your soul. I want you to pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my pain today. I trust you with my pain and I trust you with my prayer. Lord, I'm asking you to answer me. Lord, you know about my barrenness. And you know the sorrow that I struggle with. I give you that sorrow and I give you the barrenness. And I give you what I love. I trust you. Lord, be my answer. In the name of Jesus. Now, Father, I pray that you will break through on everyone here. 
breakthrough on their life. Breakthrough. Give them a mighty breakthrough to the glory of God. Thank you for hearing us today. Thank you for helping us to navigate successfully through the sorrow, the barrenness, whatever it is, into a place of victory where you get victory out of what we're experiencing. And you are glorified through it. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you needed this.